0: Once you were human. Once the dappled golds and scarlets of the setting sun filled you with warmth and thoughts of home. But home is only a word now. Only one of the fragmented pieces that fill your cluttered, cloudy mind. Think, Man-Thing. Grope through the tangled morass inside your skull and touch the memories. Remember. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Nexus of All Realities, a Man-Thing podcast. I'm Paul Matthew Carr, your guide through the strange, the bizarre, and the just plain weird of 70s swamp-based monster comics. Today's episode is a twofer. That's right. It's two, two, two issues in one. I won't normally be covering two issues at once, but this is a special case, as Man-Thing is only a guest star in someone else's book, specifically Issues 12 and 13 of Astonishing Tales featuring Khazar, Lord of the Hidden Jungle. But first, emails. I didn't get any. Nope, not a one. So apparently this will be the section of the show where I plead for someone to send me an email. So, please, send me an email. You can send it to nexus at daddyelk.com or go to Nexus of All Realities and leave a comment on any of the individual episodes. That'll work. You can also tweet the show on Twitter, if you are so inclined, at Nexus of All. All of these things are great ways to send your thoughts, feelings, opinions, and expletive-filled rants. I will accept them all. Actually, I did receive some emails this week uh, of the spam variety. I gotta tell you, when you're doing something with the words man-thing in the title, the level of spam that you get is stunning. Listen... I am not a prude by any stretch of the imagination, but holy cow, people. I mean, apparently I need both a new wife and a husband in a multitude of ethnicities, all of whom will do truly monumental things to achieve my satisfaction. And most of these come with pictures. (laughs) Good lord, who sends these things anyway? Also, word of advice, don't check your spam folder at work. It avoids lots of awkward glances in conversations the more you know. So all this is to say, please send me an email. I will read it on the show. Well, send me an email that I can read on the show. That'd be cool. Okay, it's 1972. After Savage Tales went on an impromptu hiatus a year prior, Man-Thing found himself without a home. As did another character that also appeared in that first issue, Khazar, Lord of the Hidden Jungle. Uh, By the way, that's how you have to say it, in a low baritone with an ominous inflection. It's a requirement. Kazar, Lord of the Hidden Jungle. You know, speaking of pronunciation, I only recently realized that it's pronounced Kazar. See, I always used to say Kazar. Subtle, I know, but there is a difference. Kazar sounds like you should be flashing jazz hands after performing some stage magic. Watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Nothing up my sleeve. Kazar. I'm actually doing the jazz hands right now. But as this is an audio medium, you'll have to use your imagination. Kazar! Kazar, on the other hand, sounds like the call letters of a radio station on the lower end of the FM dial. You're listening to KZAR, Tweaker and the Zoo Crew all morning, classic rock and roll all day. Kazar! Then there'd be explosions and screeching guitar sounds or something. You get the idea. Anyway, that was a tangent. Um, Kazar! He appeared in Savage Tales, but unlike Man-Thing, Kazar, Lord of the Hidden Jungle was a previously established character, and he had already been appearing in Astonishing Tales. This was an anthology title that was split between Kazar, Lord of the Hidden Jungle, and Doctor Doom. As an aside, I've never actually read the Doctor Doom stories, and they sound pretty cool. They're, they're also probably terrible, but cool nonetheless. Um, I'm going to attempt to track them down and read them, and if anyone knows anything about these, feel free to send me your knowledge to the previously mentioned email address. I'd like that. So... If it kind of sounds like I'm avoiding talking about Kazar, yeah, I kind of am. This is a character I have no interest in at all. Even as a kid reading comics, he would pop up from time to time in other books like X-Men or Spider-Man or Daredevil. I just never found him compelling. Look, I'm sure there are rabid Kazar fans out there, and if there are, I'm sorry for not liking your guy, but I just find him so dull, which is kind of weird because... He's like Tarzan, but with dinosaurs, this should be something I'm all over, but I'm just not. So I'm not going to go into too much backstory on Kazar, primarily since this is not a Kazar podcast, but I'll give a brief description so that when I do start talking about the story, you'll have a better idea of who this guy is. Kazar was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby and first appeared in X-Men number 10. He lives in the dinosaur-populated Savage Land, which is a hidden area beneath Antarctica put there by extraterrestrials, and he lives with his ultra-intelligent saber-toothed tiger Zabu, who also raised him. Yeah, it's best not to think about that sentence too much, but it does give you a good idea of who it is we're dealing with. Also, IGN once made a list of the all-time greatest comic book heroes, uh, which listed him, by the way, as 84th, which I think is pretty high, you know, all things considered, and they describe him as Marvel's equivalent to Tarzan, as I did about a minute earlier, and I actually love this part. They compared him to Namor as they're both protectors of their realms, with the one difference being that Khazar isn't a total jerk and has a better loincloth. That's excellent. Khazar continued his stories in Astonishing Tales almost immediately after Savage Tales, and, unlike Man-Thing, would continue in Savage Tales again when it resumed publication. But it would be over a year before we'd see the continuation of a Man-Thing story, when Kazar, Lord of the Hidden Jungle, made a pit stop in Florida on his way to New York, and we'll talk about that right after this. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen. And I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about four new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast on iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Astonishing Tales number 12 and 13 appeared in June and August 1972, respectively. Some of the things that were happening at this time included, Pablo Picasso completed his final painting, The Embrace. George McGovern won the Democratic National nomination for president and would go on to run a flawless campaign and defeat Nixon by a landslide in a fantasy novel I'm writing. The film Deep Throat made its debut and went on to be popular with mainstream audiences for some reason. The break-in at the Democratic National Committee headquarters on the sixth floor of the Watergate office building happened. This would, of course, have no ramifications whatsoever. The newly formed World Hockey Association signed Bobby Hull to the Winnipeg Jets, scoring a huge coup over the NHL. In a related story, apparently I'm doing hockey news in this section every time. That was unintentional. The Summer Olympics in Munich began with optimism and hope. This would be overshadowed, of course, by the hostage situation later in September, which would lead to the death of 11 Israeli athletes and coaches known as the Munich Massacre. On the lighter side, actor Ben Affleck was born. He would of course grow up to play Batman and save the DC Cinematic Universe, making it one of the most beloved franchises in movie history. This will also be a chapter in my fantasy novel. And finally, for the first time, a baseball game was called on account of grasshoppers. When millions of the insects swarmed into Hogan Park in Texas during the game between the Amarillo Giants and the Midland Cubs. So apparently, that's a thing that can happen. The cover of Astonishing Tales number 12 shows Kazar, Lord of the Hidden Jungle, strangling an alligator from behind deep underwater while Zabu bites another. In the distance, two other people can be seen desperately trying to swim to the surface while four other gators advance from above. Terror strikes the Everglades, screams the cover text. It's fine. It's dynamic, it's action-y, whatever you want it to be. This does depict something that will happen often, not just in this story, but in Man-Thing in general, because I guess there are roving packs of alligators that infest the swamps of Florida, ready to attack en masse at a moment's notice. I don't think that's how it works, but then again, I don't live in the Everglades, so maybe that is what happens. At least in Marvel swamps, that's the deal. Also, the swamp looks really... Really deep in blue. It's the cleanest swamp ever. Stanley presents Kazar, Lord of the Hidden Jungle. Roy Thomas writer, John Buscema artist, Dan Atkins inker, John Costa letterer. With the man thing sequence written by Len Wein and drawn by Neil Adams. Kazar accompanies two government agents, doctors Barbara Morse and Paul Allen, to Florida. At the airport, sleepy workers attempt to unload Zabu's cage, dropping it and releasing the angry tiger. Kazar subdues the saber-tooth, but an angry police officer decides to arrest them because the fact that he's a famous jungle boy don't cut no ice with him, see? He intends to put them away for a couple of months until they can tell it to the judge because that's how the justice system works. Not at all pleased with the idea of spending two months in a Florida jail, Kazar and company escape and steal a helicopter. On the copter, Barbara gives us some much needed backstory about the top secret science program led by Ted Salas, who disappeared after being infiltrated by a spy from AIM, Advanced Idea Mechanics. As if on cue, AIM shoots down the copter where it crashes into a swamp. They are immediately set upon by a pack of gators, because that's what happens. Caesar beats up the alligators and takes his companions to the super secret complex located deep in the Everglades. There they find Dr. Wilma Kelvin, Barbara's boss, in critical care after meeting with the Man-Thing. Outside her hospital window stands the Man-Thing, who tries to remember. In an extended flashback, we are reacquainted with the Man-Thing's origin and are told a little bit more about the program he was working on, Project Gladiator, the quest to create a serum to make an indestructible soldier. Sometime after the Man-Thing's initial confrontation with Ellen and the thugs, he notices an old woman trudging through the swamp, a glimmer of recognition causes him to follow. The woman turns out to be Dr. Wilma Calvin, coordinator of Project Gladiator, who has vowed to continue the work even though Ted has vanished. A group of armed townspeople... I mean, it's Florida, of course they're armed... Stirred up by AIM Come to confront the laboratory With accusations of creating Frankenstein monsters And they've taken Barbara Morse hostage Man-Thing Feeling the hostility Retaliates Violently beating and burning the men Freeing Barbara Dr. Calvin Seems to recognize Ted In the body of the Man-Thing She approaches him And for a moment Man-Thing remembers who he is, but that moment is shattered when the leader of the townspeople shoots Dr. Calvin in the back, critically wounding her. In anguish, Man-Thing flees back to the swamp, and all traces of his humanity disappear. Back in the present, Khazar hears the Man-Thing outside, and rushes to confront him. He chases the monster into the swamp, where AIM has set a trap, and both fall into a pit, where they are forced into a showdown, man against monster. The issue ends on a cliffhanger. There are two very distinct and different stories going on here. Obviously, there are two different creative teams, so the styles of the writing and the artwork are vastly different. The Khazar stuff is very standard comic book style. I mean, it's Bushema, so it looks like a 70s comic book. Whereas the flashback Man-Thing stuff is trying to imitate the Savage Tales feel, even down to a simulated sepia tone mimicking the black and white of the magazine. But the tones of the stories are vastly different as well. Kazar is pretty light, an adventure tale, whereas the man stuff is pretty dark. I'm not going to deal too much with the Kazar side of things, other than to say that they're really trying to shoehorn these two stories together. That said, they do introduce a couple of interesting details to the Man-Thing mythos, like the fact that it's AIM, that's the group that attempted to steal the formula, In the origin story, the enemy group was never mentioned, but by it being AIM, it brings the Man-Thing into the wider Marvel universe. We also get the first mention that it's fear that causes the Man-Thing's touch to burn. In the origin story, that was never specified. Also, the project base is pretty darn huge. It's hospital size, a massive headquarters that wasn't even hinted at in the first story, with Ted's lab just being a cabin in a swamp, basically. As for the art, well, I don't like Buscema's (laughs) Man-Thing. I'll pause for a moment and let the giggle settle down, but seriously, his head's too small. <laughs> that doesn't sound right either. Anyway, it just seems a bit off. The, the coloring's all wrong, maybe that's just the omnibus, I don't know, it's not quite right. The flashback sequence, though, is a whole different story. Neil Adams creates a moody ambiance, it's essentially black and white, so the play of light and shadow is dramatic and intense. It looks like an old universal horror film, th- that faux-German expressionism style. And the story is really tragic. Yes, the townspeople are a bit on the nose, a little too stereotyped as ignorant hillbillies. Can't come round here what your evil ways. It's a bunch of armed forest Gumps. But that aside, when Dr. Calvin approaches the man-thing and they have that connection, there is a glimpse of recognition, a split-second When Ted feels he could be human again, he remembers himself, and then it's torn apart violently, brutally, and the anguish is real. It's tragic. It turns the character from a dumb brute that kills without thought into a creature of sadness, where he becomes only a being of fleeting memory, and those memories are just flickering things that move from one moment of loss to another, constantly, repeatedly. It's easy to think that this is where the stories would have gone had it stayed in Savage Tales, or... more mature venue. Still, this aspect of the character will continue to various degrees throughout his history. The story ends with the standard confrontation cliffhanger, but there's one bit when Kazar hears the man thing outside, so he does what anyone would do in that situation. He jumps shirtless through a glass window. The saber-toothed tiger, however, uses the door. I mean, damn it Kazar! the cat knows how to use the door. Why don't you give it a try next time? You can't just find a replacement window in a swamp, plus it's a government installation. Requisition forms have got to be a nightmare, so thanks, Kazar. thanks for helping by jumping through the window, you jackass. <laughs> anyway, Kazar and Man-Thing end up in a pit, ready to face off in a deadly fight to the death. Or not. We'll find out right after this. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Matthew Carr, and I'd like to introduce you to a brand new podcast all about the craft and the process of writing. It's called Word After Word, and each month, I'll be joined by Professor David Hicks to discuss the skills and methods needed to be a great writer. Using examples from novels, short stories and poetry, as well as TV and film, we'll dissect passages, beautiful scenes and characters, and investigate the process writers have employed in order to create their great work. Along the way, we'll be joined by special guests, best-selling authors, poets, as well as up-and-coming writers to get their advice and learn the habits that make them successful at what they do. So join us! Paul Matthew Carr, and David Hicks for Word After Word, a podcast on writing. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also find us online at wordafterwordpodcast.com. The cover to Astonishing Tales number 13 shows Man-Thing holding a struggling Kazar above his head while Zabu leaps in to help. Aim agents approach from behind. The mark of the Man-Thing, says the cover text. Again, this is fine. We get to see the Man-Thing on the cover for the first time, so that's nice. It's got the boxed-out cover that was popular at this time, which I've never really been a big fan of, but there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, Man-Thing's coloring is off again, and his head looks too small, and he's just hairy like a shaggy dog. The whole thing just seems a bit off to me, but it gets the job done, I suppose. Stan Lee presents Kazar, Lord of the Hidden Jungle. Roy Thomas writer, John Buscema, and Rick Buckler artists, Dan Atkins embellisher, and John Costanza letterer. Kazar and Manthing battle in the pit trap set by aim. Manthing touches Kazar, but Kazar does not burn. Kazar ain't afraid. He doesn't know the meaning of the word fear, even though he describes in detail all the times he's been afraid. But he's not afraid today. That's the point. Kazar is faster than the lumbering monster, and for a time can avoid the Manthing's blows. Pause for childish laughter. But eventually, as Roy Thomas puts it, even a bronze god can at length grow tired. Oh yeah. Man-Thing then grabs the bronze god and is about to crush him against the ground when AIM fires a laser at him and knocks him unconscious. Why? Because AIM is stupid. The pair in the pit are then rescued by Zabu, or as Roy Thomas puts it, the living lunging nightmare from the dawn of time, the saber-fanged fury called Zabu. Ah, Roy, why use one word? when 14 will do. I love it, really. We are then treated to two pages of Kazar pulling Man-Thing out of the pit with a rope. Exciting stuff. We then find the lab has been raided by AIM, and Dr. Calvin's comatose body has been taken to their secret lair. The man who shot Dr. Calvin in the back, the one who we thought was a local hillbilly, has been captured and turns out to be an AIM spy. Yes, that did kind of come out of nowhere, now that you mention it. So after some creative tiger interrogation, he gives up the location of the secret lair. Kezar and Zabu then head off to rescue Dr. Calvin, and suddenly, we're in a Bond film. It's all underground bases and lasers from here on out. Kazar and Zabu infiltrate the lair, but are stopped by Paul Allen, who also turns out to be an AIM spy. Go figure. He threatens to kill Dr. Calvin, and he would have gotten away with it too, and suddenly the man-thing didn't crash through the ceiling and burn the terrified Paul Allen with his touch. He then gestures for the others to take Dr. Calvin and themselves to safety. And when they're gone, Man-Thing pulls a lever, setting off a self-destruct mechanism which blows up the AIM lair, and with it, himself. So that's it. Man-Thing's dead. No more stories. Podcast over. Pretty definitive ending. No room for wiggle. It's over. Nah, he comes back. Oddly, this will never be referenced again. How he gets out, never touched on. The aim base, not mentioned, even though there should be a smoking crater in the swamp. And the very large super-secret laboratory, not mentioned again. Or Dr. Calvin, for that matter. At least, not in a Man-Thing story. I suppose this might be continued in future Kazar stories, but I'll probably never know. I'm not really sure how I feel about this issue. I mean, it was fun. I enjoyed reading it. As I mentioned in the synopsis, it's full of Roy Thomas purple prose and overwordiness that I find hysterical and kind of charming. But there were some tedious bits and rather coincidental turns that were just a bit too convenient. There were some good action beats, but most of all, though I'm primarily concerned with manthing, and this is not a manthing story. He has a meaningless fight in the beginning, and then he's a sack of goo for the for a good portion of the rest of the story till he gets to save the day in the end. True, but. Even that's rushed, and it's not exactly satisfying. These two issues did serve to reintroduce the character of Man-Thing to the Marvel world, and it did add some small details to his character that would continue to some degree throughout his run, but overall, you could probably skip these issues. This holds nostalgic value. There are some great classic creators here, but this is not a classic story. It's interesting as an example of a style of comic from a particular moment in time, but for me, that's really all it is. So where can you find these issues? Well, you can find them in the Man-Thing Omnibus from 2012. That's that's where I'm reading this from. And there's also the Essential Man-Thing. Also, there is a Marvel limited edition Kazar. That looks to be a Spanish language uh, publication. I don't know. I'm, I was actually kind of surprised there's not a Khazar uh, Essential or a Kesar, uh Collection of some sort. I don't know. I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that. Anyway, that just leaves me to say, you've been listening to the Nexus of All Realities, a Man-Thing podcast. The Nexus of All Realities is a Daddy Elk production. Man-Thing and all related titles are copyright Marvel Comics, and no infringement is intended. You can contact the show at Nexus at com or Twitter at Nexus of All. Please visit the show online at nexusofallrealities.com or daddyelk.com slash nexus and leave us a comment on individual episodes. The Nexus of All Realities is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And while you're there, please leave a review. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? All right, so that brings us to the end of yet another episode. Join me again in two weeks' time when Man-Thing finally finds a home for his ongoing stories in Adventure into Fear number 10, Cry Monster. Until then, thanks for listening. Bye.